0: Welcome to the Self-Care Society podcast with your hosts, Celia Williamson, Ashley Kucher, Louis Guardiola, and Carrie Shaw, a podcast devoted to those whose job it is to help others get or remain mentally, physically, and emotionally healthy, but who also need to take care of themselves. And how we're going to do this? By first showing you the filtered, pretty version of success, and then the real struggles, real work, and raw grit it took to get there, how they took care of themselves and also achieved their goals while doing it. Together, we will work with you to improve and maintain your internal health and growth while helping you achieve your external goals and your next professional achievement in life. And we're excited to show you how to follow your own individual and unique path and achieve the dreams you have while taking good care of yourself. So let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Self-Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, and we are in between two holidays: Juneteenth, which is a federal holiday, and the 4th of July, both symbolizing freedom. So Juneteenth is the combination of June and the 19th. Uh, it, it's, com- it's commemorated because of the emancipation of African Americans in the US. So we celebrate freedom. But mm, are African Americans really free? That's the question. I mean literally no one can own another individual in the US. But let's think about Black Lives Matter and why why did we have to say Black Lives Matter? Don't all lives matter? It makes me think of the body, which is divinely organized. So if the left arm is ailing and needs healing, the body automatically sends the healing to the left arm, right? So that the body understands that every aspect of the body should be functioning at its optimal level, if possible. So we send healing to the left arm. The right arm doesn't say, well, right arms matter. Or, you know, the the body doesn't say, well, the whole body matters. We understand that healing is needed in the left arm. And so we send the added healing, the body sends the healing to the left arm. So in this country, We need to send healing to Black lives. So why? Why the whole Black Lives Matter? Well, we we do understand that disproportionately, the criminal justice system, police officers have been using excessive force, often death, when they deal with Black lives. We know through research and, and statistically that Black lives are more often stopped at police stops. More often they are searched or their vehicle is searched. More often they are taken to jail than any other group. More often they are convicted. More often they receive extended time in jail or prison than any other group, except in these statistics, Native Americans. So the criminal justice system has disproportionately produced negative outcomes for African American lives, but that's not the only reason that people are calling uh, for an understanding that Black Lives Matter because it it cuts across systems. It is systemic. So when we look at the healthcare system that we purport to wa- work in to improve all lives. We know that the birth outcomes of Black babies is disproportionately higher than other babies. We know through research that um, more Black babies are not likely to reach their first birthday than other babies. We know that a mother, a white mother without a high school diploma has a higher chance of having a healthy birth outcome than a black mother with a college degree. And that is the only place where this is true, because we know the more money you make, the more education you make affords you more money, the more money you make better health outcomes. It's true in every case except in birth outcomes of Black mothers. Why? They suggest because of racism or the perceived stress related to racism. Racism is occurring or perceived to be occurring. Same level of stress. In the healthcare system, we know that there are higher rates of child and teen deaths among Black teens than any other group, except Native Americans. We know that in terms of chronic health, that Black lives suffer more chronic health issues, more diabetes, more hypertension, more asthma than any other groups. In fact, African-Americans are more likely to die at early ages from all of these type of chronic diseases particularly high blood pressure and stroke. So within the healthcare system, it disproportionately and negatively affects Black lives. So not only the criminal justice system, but the healthcare system. Now let's look at the education system. There are racial disparities in schools. Black students are three or four times more likely than their white peers to be expelled or to face multiple suspensions. We know that once kids are removed from the general educational population, that they are more likely to quit school or to be systemically dropped from school. We know that the diagnosis of ADHD is more disproportionately labeled among Black boys. We know that Black lives are more likely to be taken out of general population and put in special needs classrooms, which already lowers the probability that they will graduate high school. We know that uh, upwards of 21% of Black children are less likely to graduate or graduate on time. We know that... they're two to three times more likely while they're in school to be connected to law enforcement because of school suspension or because of acting out. So we know that those arrest records start often um, under the age of 18. We know that one in three Black boys are expected to be sentenced to prison compared to one out of 17 white boys. So let, let's let also look at the political system. We know our in our history books, social studies is a very political topic, right? Because in social studies, <clears throat> we can mold young minds to revere, to look up to who we put in the social studies books. So in the social studies books, if there is one dominant gender, one dominant race of people seen as the heroes right then we can start to internally implant the way that young people see white males the way they may look up to them who makes it in the social studies book is important it's critical it's political there have been plenty of women that have served this country that have created um uh, Uh, invented things that have taken care of children. I mean, my mother took care of probably upwards of 10, 12 children, produced four doctors. But more importantly, people who didn't become doctors, but who stayed out of the criminal justice system because they had the love and the support, people that stayed off of the welfare rolls and became productive citizens in just everyday jobs <clears throat> excuse me because they were loved and cared for indeed women who taken care of kids for many decades kids that were theirs and kids that weren't even theirs so that those kids could lo- could live productive lives those mothers were often and still not eligible for Social Security. Their contribution still is not recognized. So politically, again, let's look at universities and research. Sociology, psychology, it's taught from a white male perspective, right? Because Piaget, Erickson, Freud, who were their study subjects? White males who were in universities because they studied their university students because it was easy. They were accessible. And who sat in university seats? White males. So theory, psychology, sociology, those theories came, came were based on white males. Not to say that The perspective, the feeling, the thoughts of white males are illegitimate. They are legitimate, but to that population. But when you create human behavior based on one segment of society, and then you apply it to all of society, then women, people of color, could look a little different, a little off center, a little labeled as dysfunctional. Because the theory about normal, healthy human behavior is based on only one segment of the population. It's like if I took Mexican women and I studied them, I came up with a theory about how we should behave, and then I applied it to everyone. I mean, we would clearly see that that should not be the case. So education is political. Let's look at politics itself, the US Congress. Still, 78% of the Congress are made up of white people, 22% non whites. It's difficult to see someone else's perspective when you sit inside yourself. It's hard to come out of your own mind, your own set of experiences, right, when you haven't had another person's experience. And so that's why diversity, who's at the table, is so critically important because they bring that perspective. Let's look at uh, the economic well-being. Look at money. So Black lives, still the highest rate of poverty over any other group besides Native Americans. So 32% of Black lives still live in poverty. But since 1964, the Civil Rights Act, we have to remember that two thirds of Black lives have been able to move up into middle class and up. So that's quite an accomplishment and not that long ago that we actually received um, full rights. Black teens have uh, higher rates of summer employment. Black lives have a higher cost of burden. So uh, those 32% in poverty still have a higher cost of burden, meaning that they're living in homes where their heating bill is higher. They're shopping at stores where the price of food is higher. So the economic system is, is burdensome to Black lives disproportionately. So what we find is, we're, you know, children at, our, at higher risk, adults who are Black are at higher risk, in old age you are at higher risk because of the chronic health conditions that you've suffered your whole life. And sometimes Black lives don't even get to cash their first Social Security check that they paid into uh, all of their lives. So I talked about um, not having a seat at that table so that you can bring the diversity. It's important to take your seat at the table whenever possible, right? You know, as a woman, as a person of color, as somebody who simply has lived in poverty before, perhaps, how important it is that you're at that table, that you speak up for the rights of other people. And in occupying that chair, you have a tremendous responsibility not to sit too long without taking action. So your crown has been bought and paid for by other generations of people who allowed you to get to the place you are today. Put that crown on your head and assume your role. Because waiting for somebody else to put the crown on your head and legitimize you (laughs) is the same as being subjected to slavery. Your freedom has been taken. You don't feel confident to put that crown on your head and to wear it And to take that seat at the table and to speak up for people who will never have that seat and never wear that crown and, you know, never have that opportunity. If you don't take that opportunity, you are subject to a form of slavery, a lack of freedom. You don't feel free enough to speak up for other people then that is a continued form of slavery. Because you've seen it. You've seen people beaten down. You've seen people robbed of what they should have. You've seen creativity and genius in these neighborhoods among these people you work with. But that genius, that creativity will never come out and be shared with the world because That person lacks a sense of confidence, an internal type of slavery. And you've seen the invisibility and the injustice and the despair among your clients, among your coworkers, maybe even yourself. And each time that invisibility, that injustice, that despair happens. It's like a whip across a slave's back. See, we can't afford to let our shyness, our low self-esteem get in the way. We have to do the work. We have to let our creativity and our talents shine. That's why we were given them. This is bigger than us. See, we don't have to lead. We can be great followers, but we have to contribute our talents. We have to contribute our talents. We also have to recognize that words are important and that our action or inaction is important. If we are freeing others in the world, working one-on-one as we do as community health workers. We also have to let our words and our action and the way we spend our money and the, and the places we don't spend our money also speak for us in the larger sense. You know, what we spend our time on is important in terms of social justice, and freeing others in the world, and respecting those who've been invisible. Who we spend our time with? Important. What we choose to wear, not where, places we choose to go, don't go. Where we choose to spend our money and not choose to spend our money? All important. Who we choose to speak to as we pass by them? Important. What we attend to, what we ignore, important. Understanding even your amount of privilege, important. So every time somebody is stigmatized or made to feel excluded in our laws, in our policies, in our organizations, in our faith-based organizations, in our daily interactions, those people who are ignored, it cuts like a whip across the slave's back. In historic slavery, it was clear who was in charge and who was oppressed. When somebody stepped out of line, the lash of the the whip caused immediate pain. Today, our words, our actions, how we vote, how we shop, who we give power to and attention to, who we don't, Is the lash of the whip. I can choose to use my voice, my power, my privilege for good, or I can choose to use it for evil. There's no in-between. In historic slavery, the whip was meant to whip you back into submission and keep you in line. The current is meant to whip you in submission and keep you in line. The former could cause immediate death. The current causes a slow death. The former cuts immediately across your back. The latter is cut in a death by a thousand cuts. It's cumulative. So, as we celebrate Juneteenth and the Fourth of July, both signifying independence, let's think about. African Americans are black lives and if you are so honored to be invited to the cookout and that isn't a saying by the way it's, it's metaphorical uh you know somebody says to you wow you invited to the cookout that means you are aligned with cool with and down with black people and if you literally get invited to the cookout because African-Americans have historically informally adopted family members who aren't blood relatives, but who nonetheless are family. If you are fortunate enough to be invited to the cookout, you will no doubt taste the wonderfulness that is Black cooking. We take our foods very seriously, and in fact, the elder women of the family, or if you're not an elder woman and so honored to be able to put together the menu, you have reached a pinnacle in life. The menu is critically important, and particularly who cooks what. Critically important. If you are literally invited to the cookout, you will taste wonderful food. If it's successful, music will play and people will get up and it will start out with the electric slide. Once it moves into the Cupid's shuffle or the cha-cha slide, the party has heated up from the grandmothers to the little ones. Food will flow, drinks will flow. But when you get to the crowd doing the wobble, someone's going to need a designated driver. But you should know that you will leave feeling full with your to go box of food in the car, feeling welcomed and feeling loved. So enjoy this holiday of Juneteenth and the 4th of July. And remember those in the world, not only the country, who continue to fight for their freedom. Thank you. That concludes this week's episode. And remember, it's not selfish, it's self-care.